Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. All right. Um, actually, yeah, when I was asked to speak, um, really excited. I love sharing. I love sharing um, from my life. Um, I try and live uh, a real kind of pavement faith where, where heaven meets us down here, because I believe that that's what Jesus did. And, and, in, and therefore, I want to just emulate that. So, um, so here we go. And I'm going to use some of these notes I'm going to try not to use that Kleenex box, but I make no promises. I find the older I get, the softer I get. So let's do this. All right, guys. Um, so I find that, um, that all preachers really only have one sermon. They only have one sermon that they ever really preach. And um, for me, that, that sermon is about sharing Christ with people who don't know him. And, and anything I'll ever say, you'll find speckled with that because it's so near and dear to my heart. And, and I think that the term sharing Christ with people or a world that doesn't know him, the term doesn't know him, I think is the most apt and accurate in this scenario. Because at the end of the day, it's not about... Um, it's not about arguing the existence of God, right? We can pull up, you know, teleological arguments and cosmological arguments or fine-tuning arguments or this or that. But they're just arguments, right? And it's not about um, uh, arguing the morality of, of Christianity to a group who um, doesn't share our belief in that superlative divinity that gives that moral code, Right? So we can argue morality all, all we want, but if they don't subscribe to that deity, well then, it's a moot point, right? So it's not about that, because at the end of the day, people might believe in arguments, but they follow a person. So we believe in arguments, but we follow a person. And so I don't want to just simply create something that people believe or I don't want to just introduce something that people believe. I want to introduce someone for them to follow. Let me tell you about Derek. If you want to throw Derek up on the screen. Um, so, uh, first of all, obviously, Derek's not Derek's real name. Uh, the names have been changed to protect the innocent. So, um, Derek is a fellow that I got to know when he was just a young lad. We would uh, actually skateboard all the time together. And um, now he's a young man. He's got a couple of kids. Um, we have walked through life together. Like, we've been there for each other's breakups. Um, we, have, uh, we have been there through each other's joys and each other's hard times. We've developed a real friendship, and, and I love the guy. And so... A little bit ago, uh, earlier on in the summer, he gives me a call, and he's in distress. He's in distress. And I'm like, what's up? What's going on? 
And as, he, and, as we, and as we're talking, he shares with me that this, the, this other fellow that we both know, actually a really good friend of Derek's, had passed away. He was in a car accident, and, um, and that was it. And that was it. And I was, oh my gosh, right? Like, what do you say to that? And, and so we're just talking through. And Derek says, I want you to pray for him. And I thought... I, see, I, I didn't understand the question. I was like, sorry, what is it that you want? You want me to pray for him? He's like, yeah. And so I asked, well, what do you want me to pray for? And he said, I want you to pray that, that he's in heaven. Well, that's a tough one, right? Like, like how, do you, how do you address this? Because this is where, like... I read my Bible, and I really haven't found anything in there that talks about praying for people after they've died that then they go to heaven, right? Um, there's this one passage in, in, I think, 1 Peter 4, but when you read the context, it's not about that at all. So I know what he wants, and I know what he's asking, and it's not something I can really give or say, yeah, sure, I'll do that in good conscience. And so here's where the conversation really hits this fork in the road. To one degree, what Derek wants is, like, he wants prayer for his friend, someone who's dear to his heart. He wants to be heard, and and he wants some comfort and assurance. And, um, and And as I say to him, look, it doesn't really work that way. And Derek asked me, why not? Why doesn't God just take him? He's a good person. I'm stuck with this notion of what he understands within popularized Christianity um, and what I understand through reading scripture. And for me, my part of that divergence in the conversation is what I desire out of it. I want to listen to this guy. I want to comfort him like he's hurting. He's my friend. And I want him to feel good, but I can't give that to him. And, And on top of all that, I want to give him something that is real because ultimately I care for this guy and I want to see him develop a strong relationship with Christ in what is true. So how do you do that? Let me tell you about, um, let me tell you about um, another person. Her name is Jess. So Jess is this, uh, this, this, this girl about town. Um, she works in a coffee shop. She loves it. She has, she has stated this is her dream job. Why? Because she gets to connect with individuals. She gets to uh, joke around with them. She's, anytime you've ever met Jess, she's lively, she's excitable, and she's engaging. And it's amazing. So um, I was at a different coffee shop and bumped into Jess. <gasps> I can't believe that she's got a different coffee shop. No, that's okay. Uh, for shame. Anyways, um, so Jess, uh, so I meet Jess in this coffee shop, and um, I'm ordering coffee, and there she is, and sitting at a table. I'm like, oh my gosh, hey Jess, how's it going? Oh, hey Carlo. And, um, and she's reading a book, and I grab my coffee, and she invites me to come join her at the table. I'm like, great. So I come down, uh, so I come in where I sit with her, and we're hanging out, and we're, we're talking, and, and I see this book, and I'm like, what are you reading? And she shares with me, um, it's these, this, this book on, on these Buddhist teachings. And she, and she loves it, and she, so she starts to tell me about these teachings and why they're so important to her. You see, 
This lively Jess that I know is not the lively Jess that used to be. Jess actually, through a number of really tough circumstances in her life, etc., has led this really recluse life where she really didn't leave the house and really felt this social anxiety in, in connecting with people or, or, or getting um, into... I don't want to say getting into relationships, but even in those kind of friendship, engaging relationships, she didn't do it. But through these Buddhist teachings, she really sort of broke free of that and now is in her dream job where she um, works in a coffee shop and engages with people over the counter. And she, like I said, she's lively and fun. Why is that? Well, in these, uh, in these teachings... If, you, if you've ever studied Buddhism, and uh, back in the day, I dabbled. Um, in Buddhism, you, you reincarnate up or you reincarnate down, um, and really that reincarnation comes through notions of uh, charity as well as you know, doing good acts. But it really foundationally comes in the fact of you letting go of this illusion here. See, this, all this world around us is just an illusion. And as we adhere to it, and as we um, really bind ourselves with it, it holds us back from the reality of what's going on and keeps us trapped. And the more we can let go of that, the more we can reincarnate up in the next life, and eventually we hit Brahma, and, and then eventually we become nothingness. So you lose your individuality, you are nothing and you become one with everything. Um, and in Buddhism, it's really a non-theistic uh, faith, so um, there is no God that you commune with. And so in these teachings, this notion of letting go, this notion of, of distancing yourself from this world, is what enabled her to let go of some of those things in her life and separate herself from those anxieties that held her back. Well, for her, this was really empowering. And she's telling this to me with this vigor and this excitement because for her, this is a victory. And for her, this is something that is exciting and to be celebrated. And again, our conversation hits this fork in the road where she's really excited and this is what she wants to share with me and on, my end of, and on my end of that conversation, I'm thinking, I want to celebrate with you. I want to say, oh my gosh, you have come so far in what is so crushing for so many people. I love that. I'm excited for you. I want to I validate her experiences and say, yes, this is something that you had to endure, and thank goodness you have to do endure it no longer. But at that same time... I want to share so much with her. I want to share with her all the things that, that are true, that there is a God, that, that you're not alone, and you don't have to distance yourself. You have, you've actually been created for relationship, to engage and to push in, not to withdraw back. And that, that strength doesn't have to come through you, and that you're the one who is the source of your own salvation, because... To be honest, we can be as strong as we want to be, and I think I'm a pretty strong guy, but I'm not, right? Like, we all have our weaknesses. We all have that point in which 
we crumble. We, we grow thin and we grow weary. And as much as we want to feel that we are powerful, and we are to a degree, it only goes so far. But where we have a God that walks beside us, then we don't have to always be up here. Sometimes we can be down here and be carried. And I want her to know that and to have that. But how, does, but how do I do that? How do I share that with her? This is what I believe. I believe that all of us are created to be with God through Jesus. That is what I fundamentally believe. Like, trim the fat on everything. At the end of the day, I believe that we are meant to be united with God through Jesus. And I believe this because of all these scriptures that I've read through the course of my time uh, engaging in Christianity, finding out who Jesus is, and reading my Bible. So there's ones like this. Like this. Awesome. So Colossians 1.16. All things were created through him and for him. Are we created things? Yes. And so we were created through Christ, and we were created for him. So we belong to him. We are called to engage in him. We are called to be united with him. Acts 17. Um, Paul is talking to these people who want to know about this, this God that he's talking about that apparently they don't know about. And so he's, de- he's describing um, events to, hi- to these people and he's describing God to them. And he says, God determined the times and places where people live so that we would reach out for him and find him, although he's not actually far from any one of us. And so Paul's saying, Look, you were created and placed in a time and location so that you would have certain circumstances and, and, um, and occurrences that would bring you to a relationship with God because he is waving, trying to get your attention, that you might reach out and find him. This is God's desire. Or um, what about this next one? Uh, Peter writes, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's God's desire that we are united with him, that, that nobody would be separated from God. That we would all, you know, and the word is repent, which, remember, for Jews meant to, you're walking in one direction, you turn 180 degrees and you walk in that opposite direction. So if you are walking away from God, you know, if God is the center point, no matter what direction you're walking in, If you turn 180 degrees and you're walking that opposite direction, you're walking to God. That's what God's doing. He's being patient with us, giving us grace, showing us grace, that we would turn and walk towards him because he doesn't want anybody away from him. He wants all of us united with him because we're his kids. Or this one written in John where these are the words of Jesus. And he says, Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. And I really want to camp on this one a while. Because here's what Jesus is saying. He says, the world doesn't know you. It's not that the world knows you and has rejected you. It's that ultimately, they don't know you. And he's saying, but I do know you, 
and I've revealed you to them. Why did Jesus come? Oh my gosh, Jesus came for so many reasons. But one of them, and one of the big ones, is to reveal who the Father is to his kids. And Jesus is living in a time, in, like he's speaking in Jerusalem and in and around Judea. Like this is, the, this is the motherland, right? Like this is the heart of where Christianity would emerge from, the heart of Judaism, all this stuff. They know God, right? Well, apparently not. And Jesus, God himself, has descended to reveal himself to the people who supposedly know him, but in actuality don't. How much more in our culture do we not know him? But Jesus is wanting to reveal God to us. So, so why don't, why, like, what is up with the culture? Why don't we really know him? Well, it's because of our ideas of Christianity, our ideas of, of Judaism, uh, our ideas of, of God, and things like that. We live in a post-Christian culture. Really, it's people are wearing this shirt that says, been there, done that, got the shirt, moved on. Really, we feel like we know what Christianity is about, and we just like, yeah, you know, it's not for me, whatever, and then we've moved on. What I'm going to suggest, like Jesus was saying, we don't actually know. Or actually, at least the culture itself claims that they know, but they don't know. It's sort of like MSGs. Oh, no, sorry. Anyways, MSGs. So, MSGs. You know that stuff that supposedly is in, is in uh, food sometimes? And we're like, what? MSGs? I don't want that in my food. What? Did you hear that that place puts MSG in their food? Oh, I'm not going to eat there anymore. And we say, ah, no thanks, MSGs. Do you know what MSG stands for? Thank you. Monosodium glutamate. Do you want it in your food? What's that? No. Why? Crickets. Right. That's what I'm getting at. It's like, we do not want those MSGs in our food. Not mine. No, thank you. But what does it do? Well... Monosodium glutamate, it's a glutamic acid. And what it is, it's a, it's a neurotransmitter. You actually produce it in your body already. Um, it basically is an excitatory neurotransmitter. So, so you have uh, various neurotransmitters uh, between the synapses in your, in your nerves from, uh, from you know, uh, dendrites to axions, axions to dendrites. Anyways, basically what happens is it's a chemical that goes across. You have some that say, don't fire off. And you have other ones that are like, go, 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 go. Well, this one's that one. All right. And so um, some people believe that um, it causes an overexcitement and overfiring of your nerve cells. And therefore, um, especially in the brain, so your brain just fires off on all cylinders, which I'm like, so it's like that pill in Limitless where your brain is just go, 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 and you're brilliant? Hey, if that's the case, sign me up. <laughs> I'll put that stuff in my coffee all day, every day. But um, the truth of the matter is, is that apart from like one study in 1969 where they basically like juiced up these like lab rats with uh, MSGs and they spazzed out, 
there's no real conclusive evidence that it really does you harm. But I'm not saying it does, or I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying, for the point of argument, is that you guys are like, no MSGs, please. And I'm saying, but you don't even know what it does. You just know that you don't want it. And that's Christianity today. Our culture says, no, we don't want that. But we don't know why. Because they don't know God. Knowing the character of God is the foundation of why people come to Christ or don't come to Christ. And I think that Jesus really nailed this home in the most amazing parable that I've ever read in Scripture, the parable of the prodigal son. So, um, if you're familiar with the prodigal son, good for you. It's awesome. If you're not familiar with the prodigal son, it basically goes like this. There's a man, he, um, he had an estate, he was well-to-do, whatnot. He had these two sons, the, the oldest son and the youngest son. And one day, the youngest son says to, the old, uh, says to the dad, you know what, I'm done. I would like my inheritance, like my half of the inheritance, and I've got some parting to do. I'll catch you later. And the father says, well, listen, I'm not going to force you to be here. I'm not going to force you to stay. That's not who I am. Um, so he gives this youngest son his inheritance. The uh, youngest son goes off, lives wild, crazy life, awesome parties, the kind that you, you know, watch on YouTube. Uh, it's nuts. He's living this, this crazy life and basically blows all his money on wild living. And at one point, he finds himself um, like feeding pigs. That's his job now, feeding slop to pigs. And he's looking at that slop, and he's like, man, that looks good. And he longs to eat it. And remember, Jesus is giving this parable to a Jewish culture. And, and what's the animal that they are, that's like a dirty animal to them? Swine, right. So, so you understand just how low this, this guy is, has come. And so he's, 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 um, he's eating this stuff, or he's looking at this stuff, and he's like, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to my dad because his servants are treated really well. And so what I'm going to do is I'll just go to him and, and he devises this whole speech. He's like, Dad, you know, I've, 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 uh, you know, like, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me one of your servants. I'll just work in the house. I'll mop floors, whatever. And, uh, and he makes his way back. And while he just enters to town and while he's still a long way off, the father who's been looking Oh, you stay away from me. Oh, damn it. I get so, like, worked up on this sermon. Anyways, no, I'm not going to use you, Kleenex box. All right, let's do this. Okay, deep breath. The father who sees his son at a far distance, who's been looking, waiting, one day my son might return, sees him, runs out to him, runs across town with, with his servants, and, 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 the, the fa- and the son sees the father and starts into this speech. Is like, Dad... I've been such a jerk. I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, I don't deserve to. And the father's like, shh. I don't want to hear it. Shh, quiet. Just like, don't, I don't care. Tells the servants, put a robe on his back. Put a family ring back on his finger. Put sandals under this guy's feet. And by the way, that, that calf that we've been, you know, fattening up for a, a sweet barbecue, today's the day. Slaughter it. We're going to throw a party. My son is home. Meanwhile, the oldest son is working in the fields and hears all this stuff going on back up at the house. 
tells one of his servants, like, what's going on, uh, you know, up at the house? And the servant says, oh, uh, your brother's returned, and the father has slaughtered the fattened calf, and we're going to party tonight. And the oldest brother's like, not me. Forget it. I'm not going. And when the father hears this, he comes down, and, uh, and he's like, hey, what's going on? Why aren't, you, why aren't you joining us? He's like, can't believe you. Can't believe you. This guy treats you like dirt, takes off, blows everything, right? Like it's a slap in the face, and then he comes home, and you slaughter the fattened calf, and you party for him? Meanwhile, what have you ever done for me? And I've always been good to you, right? And no, this is, this is garbage, and I refuse. And the, and the father's like, whoa, no, you don't understand at all. He says, first of all, we've always, like, you've always been my son. We've always been close. But man, your brother's home, right? And then the story ends. And this was a parable that Jesus gave to these Pharisees who had busted in on Jesus' party with, you know, with those people, with the sinners and tax collectors. And, and these Pharisees were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're hanging out with these guys. And Jesus gives this parable to help them understand the nature of God and why God would ever hang out with those people, right? Let's take a look at, at some of the, like the way some of these characters in this story address one another. And what you're looking for here, and what I want to show you, is that when people know the Father, when they know God, that changes how they respond to God. So we have, we have the youngest son. So the youngest son, at one point, he's feeding those pigs, and he says, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father. You see, he knows what his dad is like. He's, he knows that his father, his serv- the, the father's servants, have food to spare. It's not like, here's your portion. It's like, here's your portion and then some. They have, they have not just for themselves, they have it to spare. His father is a generous man. And the son knows this. And because he knows the character and nature of the father... He says, I'm going to go back to him because I know what he's like. And sure enough, the father shows himself to be true. What about the oldest son? The oldest son, when, when the father comes out to him, uh, like we're in the field, and, uh, and the father's like, hey, why, why aren't you joining us up at the house for this party? The oldest son says, look, all the years I've been slaving for you, I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never given me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, you butcher the fattened calf for him? Check out the language here. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He sees himself to the father in utility. Basically, I'm useful to you. That guy has not been. I have been good to you. I have, I've never disobeyed your orders. I've done all the work. I've slaved for you. I am useful. I have earned the good, the good person brownie points, right? 
And then look at, look at this, word, this term here. This son of yours. He doesn't say my brother comes home and whatever. This son of yours. He has distanced himself from anything relationally based. It is entirely utilitarian based. You're either useful or you're not, but it's not based on family. That's the language of the oldest son. Now let's look at the language of the father. The father, speaking to the oldest son, says this. My son, you are, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and has been found. The first thing he says is, he says, my son. He says, your worth is not founded upon how useful you are to me. Your worth is founded upon the fact that you're my kid. That's it. You're my son. I don't care about what you've achieved. I don't care about how much you've slaved for me. My son, you are always with me. And that's huge, right? Because the, the, the eldest son said, you've never given me a small goat that I can celebrate with my friends. I haven't given you a small goat. I didn't have to give you one. Everything I have has been yours. And you don't know this? You don't know me? After all this time, you don't know me? I'm your dad. But we have to celebrate. And here's where it's brilliant. He throws the relationship back at him. The oldest son said, this son of yours. And the father says, no, this brother of yours. This brother of yours was lost and is now found. We come to God or we stay away because we know him or we don't. I almost have this theory that everybody would run to God if they really knew him, if they knew how good he is, how much they love him, not on God's usefulness, like, well, uh, you know, I don't really get much out of God. Never mind get what you get out of God. It's like, I love people who love me. This is a natural thing to be like, well, thanks. And, and you have this, this connection to them purely because they love you. And, um, and I think that with God, if people really knew, they would run to him. Let me finish with Derek. Let me finish talking about Derek. I said to Derek, it's not about good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. That's what, that's what our popularized conceptions about Christianity are about. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And I say, in that sentence, where was God? Where's God in that sentence? Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's not what it's about at all. It's not about going to heaven or avoiding hell or whatever. It's about, I want to be with God. I want to be with the object of my affection, Jesus. And if that's the case, and God happens to be in heaven, then by proxy, I'm in heaven. But that's it. And that's why God made salvation so easy. 
because you're not earning your brownie points. He already did it. He's like, okay, I already did it. Don't worry about that. I just want you and me to be together. That's all I care about. So I, I took care of salvation for you. Now you and I can just hang out. And so I worked through this with this fellow and continued to work through him, helping him to understand who the father is. And what about Jess? What I talked to her about is that it's not about being separated. You were built for community. God exists in community. He's built us as relational beings. We are built for community. So this notion of separating yourself from the illusion, it's just not, it's not in us. It's never been in us. It's not for us. And this notion of, of the letting go, in the lower teachings of Buddhism, you let go of suffering, okay? You let go of pain and suffering because adherence to pain and suffering is adherence to the illusion. That's why we suffer because we crave things of this world and when we don't get it, then we suffer. And so you let go of that. In the higher teachings of Buddhism, you let go of love. Look it up. It's true. Why? Because if I love things and people, I hold on to them and it keeps me bound to the illusion. And I told her, it's so contradictory to everything you crave. You were living as this recluse and now you love working in a coffee shop because you get to engage in people and this faith system that you adore tells you to let go of those people. That's not the solution. I told her, one of the things I explained to her is that the suffering, lean into it. Lean into it because you'll meet God there, right? And I'm not saying that all suffering is, hey, good for us, we get to suffer. I mean, like, suffering is horrible. I try not to do it as much as I can. But Psalm 66 says, For God refined you like silver. He brought you into prisons. He let men ride over your heads. He brought you through fire and flood, but brings you to a place of abundance. So God refines you like silver. And how do you pull out that precious metal? You burn it. He lets men ride over heads. He lets things happen to you. He brings you into prison. So some things he does to you. But ultimately, he brings you to a place of abundance. He wants so much for us. So in the suffering, lean in. Because you'll find that God's there all along. And guys, she was amazed at this God she didn't know. Let me finish with this. Ultimately, people don't know who God is. We have a popularized misconception about Christianity, that it's good people go here, bad people go there. It's not what it's about. It's about be with God, and the rest will play itself out. Our job, my job, your job, is to communicate the character of God. Don't bicker with people about proving this or disproving that, jumping on these bandwagons of, of uh, you know, like, how dare people do this or we should legalize that. Or Listen, talk to them about who God is. And as they fall in love with this God, the Spirit will move in their hearts. Because people might believe arguments, but they follow a person. I want that person to be Jesus. Yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Let, let, me, let me pray really quick. Uh, Christ, I just pray that you would help us as we communicate who you are and help us to understand who you are. 
both for us and for the people that we speak to in our lives. We love you and we thank you so much on this Thanksgiving weekend. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.